0: Welcome to a brand new episode.
1: Mike Driscoll, The Python Show.
0: Ah, welcome to The Python Show with your host, Mike Driscoll. Today, I have the honor of having Lucas uh, on my <laughs> podcast. Um, Lucas is a core Python programmer. And he also created uh, the black formatter, which is a pretty popular code formatter for Python. Anyway, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, happy to be here.
0: It's so great to have you. I've I've, I've been looking forward to our chat for quite a while. Could you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to programming?
1: Right. Uh, these days, I work for the Python Software Foundation as the CPython developer-in-residence, uh, although I probably shouldn't say the anymore since there is three of us right now. Um, mm-hmm. Very recently, Serhiy Torchaka and Petr Viktorin joined me. So now there's a three-person team. Um, I just had a meeting with the steering council just yesterday talking about all the possible new things that we can do now that we have... Um, a larger staff uh, of core developers, essentially, on board for uh, supporting the rest of the team. So I've Mm -hmm. been doing this uh, since June 2021. Uh, Before that, I had a short stint at HDB, a company co-founded by Yuri Silivanov, also one of the core developers of Python, a -hmm. person who uh, added async and await to the language. So uh, like a very... um, important contribution that is dear to my heart. Uh, Before Mm -hmm. that, I spent five years at Facebook, uh, first in Vancouver, British Columbia, then in California. Uh, I enjoyed working in Silicon Valley. Um, It was very easy to meet uh, people who have tremendous experience and a lot of, you know, kind of interesting thoughts about anything tech-related. So. Uh, you, could, you could meet anybody from Kent Beck to Guido Van Rossum, who actually lived not far from where I uh, used to live. So uh, that was a fantastic place. I did move back to Poland in 2018 uh, for family reasons, and this is where I reside now. Um, okay. I don't know what else you you, you want to know. Like, I started using Python <laughs> in t- 2004. Uh, initially, it was almost almost like a kind of slapstick comedy. Sort of thing where I got a script from a friend uh, who said this is gonna help me with uh, linear algebra classes. The script was in Ruby,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, so I tried to download Ruby to my computer and install that. But the installer kept crashing, like regardless of the version of Ruby I tried to install. That that was still hmm. a desktop computer on a you know running Windows XP. So mm-hmm. I literally typed into Google. Ruby alternative and Python popped up Uh, and, you know, Mm. using that (laughs) and looking at the Ruby script, I sort of figured out how I could use numeric at the time, NumPy was still not a thing, Mm. to do something similar to what the Ruby script was doing. Uh, So this stayed with me ever since that, you know, it was incredibly easy to start but still incredibly powerful. And the computations that were possible to do were in fact not slow uh, Mm -hmm. since I had previous experience with the java and uh, you know there for stuff to be actually very performant you had to do a lot of work and be careful about how you are crunching numbers and with numeric mm-hmm. and later with numpy uh the, the kind of vector based programming allowed you to move a lot of the computation to be extremely efficient like on the cpu and these days on the gpu uh, mm-hmm. so fantastic right um what else is there? I mean, <laughs> yeah, like I, I'm, I'm essentially in tech uh, since, you know, high school and later I did programming uh, at university. So I uh, mm-hmm. graduated um, computer science at the Poznan University of Technology, uh, half a million people city in Poland where I reside now.
0: Cool. That's a, that's a pretty big town, at least from where I'm from anyway.
1: Right, so it's it's essentially a good size uh, because it is big enough that it does have a regional airport. I cannot really go way further than maybe Nice or Milan from from Poznan directly, but what I can do is uh, I can hop through Frankfurt or Munich and then essentially fly anywhere. I successfully did that mm-hmm. just last month to Bangkok. So you know, kind of it's a it's a great size of a city. It's also um, Close to Berlin, close to Warsaw, the capital of Poland. But you Mm -hmm. know, it's uh it's itself not a touristy place, so it's boring, but Mm. in a good way, you know. uh so I (laughs) I I do enjoy living here.
0: That's really cool. I I lived in Dallas for like two years, and that was that was fun because you you was a it was a big place. It was still kind of flat like Iowa is, which is where I'm from. Right. But very different too.
1: I did visit uh, Dallas this year uh, after the um, conference. Oh, this year. No, Ugh, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm still in 2023 mentally. So yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of uh, after PyCon 2023, uh, mm-hmm. we took a car. My family joined me and we uh, drove from Salt Lake City all the way to Austin and then mm-hmm. Dallas where we flew from. Uh, to just see a bunch of things in between. So, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, we saw Monument Valley, we saw Roswell, and so on and so on. Uh, But Mm -hmm. yeah, we we did see Austin and we did see Dallas. Um, It was my first time in Texas, so I was very curious about how it is like.
0: Yeah, the cool thing about Texas is that, well, one, it's huge, so you can see all kinds of different things. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, you can even have the coast if you're going to go south far enough. But yeah you, you there's just a ton of things to do there, so
1: right, we didn't quite get to houston we 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 flew out of Dallas, but it was uh, mm-hmm. it was incredible anyway, and we we uh we saw the cattle call, you know uh and mm-hmm. I, yeah I, I I liked it,
0: yeah, there's a lot of fun things to do, and I was actually surprised at the variety of things you could just do right there in Dallas, but there's a there's lots of things to do in Austin and San Antonio and some of the other big cities there, mm-hmm. Anyway, um, let's get back to Python. Uh, I'm curious, how did black come about? and Why did you create that versus like using one of the pre-existing tools like YAPF?
1: Right. So, um... Yes, back in 2018 when I started uh, Black, Yap was definitely already a mature product and it was fairly popular. Uh, in fact, uh, you can still dig out like some of the comments I contributed to Yap since uh, okay. I didn't start with the idea to um, you know write a new uh, automatic formatter in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, I did try to um, make Yap uh, even more configurable than it already was. Mm-hmm. It, with the intent that I could uh, adopt it at Facebook where I worked at the time. Um, I was a part of a team called Python Foundation Internally that was um, essentially responsible for developer efficiency around any Python usage at the company, which you can imagine is a lot of different users. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it summarizes to some 20-something million lines of code, right? Um most of those lines of code were, in fact, uh, configuration, where uh, at Facebook, there is this system that instead of writing a configuration in some um, more machine-ready format like JSON, mm-hmm. uh, configuration is written in Python, uh, and then some c- sort of compiler is compiling this Python DSL into JSON, which then can be read by mm-hmm. anything, right? You can read it... Yep. Uh, in your particular C++, Python, whatever processes, like even networking equipment can read JSON. Even your fridge can probably these days. (laughs) So um, this sort of... A two-pronged approach where you had um, user visible Python that people edited and then Mm -hmm. uh, JSON as output uh, was pretty powerful because you could do things that Python allows you to do, right? So you could define classes, you could have variables, you could have helper functions, uh, you could actually have comments, right? Like, you know, let's start Mm -hmm. with that uh, and so on and so on. So, you know, along with looping and ifs and elses, it was actually way more expressive as a configuration language than actual configuration languages would allow you to do. So Mm -hmm. obviously, a lot of this uh, configuration was also formatted in sometimes very weird ways. Uh, You know, it was essentially free for all. So at first, we tried to adopt Yap as it was. And um, to be clear, like it's a a pretty impressive piece of engineering. Uh, The -hmm. way it works is it uses dynamic programming to... Uh, calculate a number and the number it calculates is your dissatisfaction with uh, how a line got formatted. Right. So a line will uh, essentially be kind of unwrapped. So um, to a form that would be used if there would be no limits to how long a line should be. And then um, it will be um, combined back into um, narrower lines in you know, certain ways, right? So the effects of such programming, like of such wrapping, will... Uh, end up having um, some visible artifacts and you can assign penalties to some of those forms. Like Mm -hmm. you don't want to have a hanging closing parentheses because it's like, you know, 10 points of dissatisfaction and so on and so on. Um, So this entire configuration of the app is in fact uh, numbers that allow you to define what you feel is the least You know, um, satisfactory, and what is the most satisfactory outcome for you um, as the output of your formatting? And Mm -hmm. being, you know, this mature project with some fiddling for of a style that you know um, already was growing at Facebook, uh, we tried to adopt it internally. Right? Uh, Mm -hmm. However, we always mm, faced this issue where. At some point, uh, there would be an edge case that would be very hard to explain. The formatting would be suboptimal, but we wouldn't really know how it came about. Uh, we would mm-hmm. try to explain, but because of the dynamic programming approach and like those all those knobs that you had in configuration to dial in uh, formatting one way or another, it wasn't really easy for us to explain why a given line was formatted as it was so Mm -hmm. uh whoever was dissatisfied with this formatting um wouldn't be you know easily kind of swayed to just let it go to just keep keep it as is like
0: Mm -hmm. people wanted
1: answers and if they didn't get answers they wanted us to fix the problem so to improve the formatting so the way you would do this with the app is you would take the configuration file and um, just change some numbers from I don't know 46 to 47 and you would observe that this one line that you didn't like now is formatting in a more sensible way so Mm -hmm. victory unfortunately with that one change other lines that you were previously happy with would start formatting differently so mm-hmm. it was this sort of, you know, uh, spaghetti configuration that in the end was impossible to curb, to produce um, like a formatting that would be, I don't know, like on average, the least dissatisfaction, mm-hmm. which ironically is is what essentially the, the tool tries to do, but, you know, isolated to profile, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so we had an intern on our team um, to just do um, a simple formatter for... Uh, the configuration uh, that we have, of which there are some, you know, like almost 20 million lines of code at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, kind of over the course of, uh, I don't know what, how, how much it was, like eight weeks or so, um, that person wasn't able to produce anything that we could use. Um, and, you know, at, at, at some point I had to write this uh, kind of summary, like this write-up of like, you know, like uh, this this project essentially failed. And the mm-hmm. question arose like, oh, maybe, Ukash, maybe you are too uh, demanding. Maybe it's impossible to essentially write a tool like what you wanted in eight weeks. Maybe it's unreasonable to ask for something like that. Uh, mm. But I was sure that, like, no, like, what we actually want is, uh, is not all this configurability, it's not all those uh, features that you can have, like, extra on top of the basic reflowing of the mm-hmm. uh, file. Uh, So I just started tinkering with um, this sort of idea myself after hours, since even from the beginning, I thought like I would want this to kind of live externally and be kind of independent of my employer. So in Mm -hmm. California, you can do this, right? You can uh, work on your own time with your own equipment and in such way, essentially kind of still leave the copyright like belonging to you to whatever uh, on you know on whatever you work on Mm -hmm. and 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 so i did um after i released the first alpha version uh which was heavily testing you know formatting on a bunch of open source projects and the standard library of python and whatever it very immediately got uh you know popular for whatever reason i don't know maybe it was just like (laughs) this kind of This uh, snarky readme that I wrote at the time kind of Mm -hmm. resonated with people. There was also the effect of, you know, at the time, Kenneth Wright's just saying, like, I like this, you should look at it. So people did, Um, Mm -hmm. you know. So um, back in 2018, mm, this started kind of very quickly growing. And we mm-hmm. quickly also added this as a project that was also usable at Facebook if somebody wanted. But at that point, it was very early on. It was, it was nowhere near you know the stability that you would require for mm-hmm. a larger company. Uh, but what I could do when it was already running there, I could run tests with all those tens of millions of lines of code. And mm-hmm. with that, like very quickly, I identified like ways in which uh, we needed to also, you know, kind of change the formatter like that way or or the other. What also helped, which I only discovered at that point, was that um, one of the maintainers of the prettier formatter for JavaScript and, 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 mm-hmm. and other, uh, you know, formats, file formats, um, was working on the same floor as me, like at Facebook.
0: So oh, cool. I just had
1: a bunch of conversations with them, and they were tremendously useful about how you grow a project how, you know kind of what you should be doing what you mm-hmm. should be avoiding, which is why for example, I for the longest time uh essentially didn't want to even have a configuration file for for black because uh you know like Chris told me that one of uh, the things that he uh is not too happy about is how, if you have multiple um, formats of configuration that you adopted too quickly, then you're stuck with them and the precedence mm-hmm. rules for them are hard to figure out. And even if they are clear and well-documented, there's always gonna be somebody who is um, surprised by what they got and so on and so on.
0: So, mm-hmm. you know,
1: kind of the, the rest is history, like thanks to like my, I guess, lucky positioning, like, you know, both at Facebook and within Python. Um, like very many projects started adopting black you know gradually, right Obviously it wasn't mm-hmm. like all on day one, but over the course of the next two years, uh, the development kind of you know uh, brought us to a point where even the large uh, projects like Django like were able to adopt black. Um, <laughs> interestingly, like I was I was sure like they would be the users of the one option that I had from day one, which is the ability to specify line length. And mm-hmm. they didn't. They just kept the default and said, okay, whatever. Like, you know, let's let's just use that. Oh, nice. and, and, and that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I thought they would be fighting for, you know, just retaining their 120, which they were kind mm-hmm. of aimlessly using uh, originally that was different from PEP8. But no. Yeah. So, you know, kind of uh, a bunch of projects did that. They just adopted whatever defaults there were. Because uh, ultimately, that was the entire point, to make sure that, you know, kind of you have... Uh, formatter that produces Mm -hmm. consistent results so even if they are not beautiful as your manual formatting would be at least you can uh, kind of um, explain why the formatter did what it did Um, Mm -hmm. you know so that would be easy to explain the, the the primitive tool uh, but also since it 's consistent, you can also when you 're writing code, you can factor it in such a way to avoid the uh, ugliest formattings because at some point ultimately if you 're trying to cram too much in a single expression you 're going to have you know very complicated uh, ri- line wrappings right you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's very hard to come up with something that's going to be objectively good looking. So splitting yeah. lines in ways that you know avoid this issue is something that uh, you know kind of you intuitively start doing. Um, but most of all, you just start not caring about uh, formatting as you type because you can just type ugly mm-hmm. and then save, and as you save, it'll, it's going to reformat to a nice form. Uh, and I, I'm I'm doing this right now to all of my projects except for CPython uh, where I can't, I can't like, you know, and um, <laughs> it's uh, it's very handy not to have to think about uh, code formatting.
0: Yeah, I agree. I've been actually trying to explain that to some junior developers that once we adopt a formatter, you don't have to think about it anymore. And that's really nice. But some, some people really like the way it's they've hand formatted something it's going to take a little a little bit of work to help them understand that that's not always the best way
1: right so there is a safety hatch right there are no format comments like format off and format Mm -hmm. on comments that you can you know you use to uh, preserve formatting for i don't know some literals that you really need to align kind of in a special way but Mm -hmm. usually i don't think it's essentially something that can be in any way automated to always uh, have some magical alignment for, I don't know, like kind of multidimensional, you know, tables or whatever else that you're trying to express as literals in code. uh, Mm It will just always have some edge case that is going to ruin the automatic ability for us to do this. Uh, so, you know, kind of black as a simple tool, at least at, at the start it was, uh, just bails on the idea of trying to be overly clever and mm-hmm. just formats everything regularly as if it was just data structures, right? This is why yeah. even function signatures are being formatted in the same way, where the closing bracket is uh, de-dented, right? So it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it has an outer level of indentation.
0: Yeah, that makes sense to me. So, I mean, I, I wanted to ask you what you think about Ruff, since it's kind of a competitor or, or a side, side project.
1: Right. So, um, interesting. Um, Ruff is an example of a project that also grew very quickly.
0: It's, Mm -hmm. uh,
1: I think at this point, not even two years old. Uh, So, you know, very quick adoption. Like I I kind of like to see it. It's it's had explosive growth. It originally Mm -hmm. started as a linter. um, And funnily enough, like that linter started with duplicating some of the work that I did, uh, which I was very happy to see. So what happened Mm -hmm. was um, a lot of people who use PyLint, like didn't really see Ruff as the, you know, kind of replacement that they want. Since mm-hmm. Rough didn't do full program analysis, it only looked at the file that you had open at any given time. Uh, yeah. But when you did, like that was very quick and it did show you a bunch of uh, warnings. So it was like Flake 8. And in fact, Mm -hmm. it did originate with essentially re-implementations of uh, a bunch of Flake 8 warnings. Mm -hmm. Uh, But on top of the ones that ship with Flake 8, uh, some um, that were very... Um, added very early on were ones that are in an extension to Flake8 called uh, Flake8 Bugbear, which is something that mm-hmm. I started like back at Facebook when I did a lot of code review and just ended up ended up finding similar issues with uh, many of my coworkers. um you know pull requests we we called them diffs at Facebook. Doesn't matter different terminology. Yep. So you know yep. uh, right so. Um, Seeing that Ruff is essentially implementing all of those um, warnings as well, like I tried it on a bunch of of my projects of my own, and you know it worked fine. It just did what it uh, what what it said on a tin, doing it mm-hmm. very quickly. Says you know, unlike Flake Eight, it didn't really uh, re. Um, read and reparse your source files for every plugin that you had enabled and, you know, using seven different technologies to parse the tree and whatever, Mm -hmm. including some of them that are just regular expressions, which I think uh, the uh, code style um, part still does, which is kind of disgusting. So like all of the (laughs) things that uh, Ruff is doing, like, are just, you know, how you would do a clean room project, you know, from... For in 2021 or 2022, Mm -hmm. whenever it originated. Uh, So I was very happy to see this. And at some point, uh, Charlie did kind of publish interest on Twitter about uh, adding auto-formatting to this. Uh, So Mm -hmm. it was obviously very interesting to see, especially when I just saw him just, randomly subtweeting parts of Black's code base, uh, including some of, uh, you know, kind of Easter eggs that I placed in the source code early on, and they, they're still there. So mm-hmm. I knew that something is coming up. And then he did have an um, issue open about like, hey, we're going to be doing all the formatting. And I um, had a bunch of interactions with um, him and, um, you know, other people on the team um, mm-hmm. During that phase when it was first, you know, announced but not ready yet. Uh, yeah. So ultimately, you know, what I think about Ruff is like it is essentially an improvement over what Flake it was. As far as Black is going, like you know, um, I never wanted to be like the Lord of Python formatting. Like I was never <laughs> the point. Like I just yeah. made a tool where the main point of it was some level of consistency and output that was good enough. That you could really just adopt it to stop the bickering that was just endlessly fighting for pieces of essentially white space uh, yeah. on pull requests, right? Like which is you know the 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 biggest I think kind of productivity multiplier that you can have, just focusing on the semantics and just leaving the you know kind of the aesthetics aside. Um, mm-hmm. There's already plenty of aesthetics coming from the fact that you're using Python. So you can have, you know, kind of more design-grade discussions and not just bicker about, mm-hmm. you know, whether there should be two spaces before a comment or you should align it somewhere else whatever, right? Uh, yeah. So that was my ultimate goal. And since um, rough wants to be a drop-in replacement for existing tooling, it really mm-hmm. only could be one for black. It couldn't you know, easily replace the app since there is so many configuration toggles there Mm -hmm. that it would be very hard for uh, a new tool to reproduce the output close enough that it wouldn't be disruptive. So obviously even in the case of black there are differences between what rough is producing and what black is producing especially that now in january what is happening is uh black is going to have a new version that is going to have a new edition of a style that has a bunch of mm-hmm. tweaks that we worked on over the past year uh and you know the formatting is going to shift a little it shouldn't be a big difference but there is always mm-hmm. some difference between the years so um, if um rough so far was very close to black it might diverge a little this is not intentional you know like to to, to essentially make rough's uh, job harder but it's just how black yeah. was functioning before rough came around but still since it's so close uh, i find it as a you know, net positive, like for, for Python. Uh, Mm -hmm. I do want to see more people use automatic formatting, um, to be clear and people who are close to me, like know this, like the style that black is enforcing is not 100% my personal favorite coding style. There were quite Mm -hmm. a bunch of Early on, discussions about uh, you know edge cases of the um, of the formatting and some still controversial decisions like adopting double quotes for all strings and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those things didn't always go the way I would intuitively think about them, and some of the decisions that I um, kind of made in alpha one, the first ever release of black were later reverted because people were not agreeing with them. Uh, So Mm -hmm. the end result is sort of like I would want to think like a consensus before, you know, between um, a very large amount of uh, Python developers. Some of the earliest Python developers, so some of the most senior ones, uh, including core developers, Uh, have very strong opinions on how code should be formatted and therefore on the Python team there is uh, still like quite a bit of a controversy whether black is a good choice for formatting like internally in Mm -hmm. Python or not, you know, and yeah. There there's nothing objectively I can do to fight this uh well fight this to essentially to convince anybody of anything like if you were formatting your code in a certain way for 30 years like good luck bringing a tool that is doing something else and you know convincing people that this is mm-hmm. all right you know. So um uh, like I'm fine with uh you know some sort of some um, level of you know I don't know kind of uh, differing opinions there. But ultimately, I do feel like, and I think this is justified given a rough format now, that the code style kind of defended itself, that it proved successful. Since like, if there is more than mm-hmm. one tool now, essentially enforcing the, the, the same line of thinking, even if the edge cases differ, I would think that essentially validates the initial goal and the initial approach. So I'm happy yeah. to see rough one. That's
0: cool. I think it's cool there's so many new tools that I can use to make my code uh, better and make my you know my design and experience better in general.
1: Right, yes. So there there is plenty of other tooling that we are using for uh you know different sorts of uh communication and you know kind of improvement of code review and collaboration and so on and so on. So um like I'm very happy to see improvements there too. Uh what mm-hmm. was until recently like kind of not very uh kind of i don't know like well um, well we, we didn't really have like great choices for uh, those tools like was debuggers and profilers and this is also changing pretty rapidly right now so i'm very mm-hmm. happy to see improvements in that kind of core area of uh, of python since Print debugging, as much as of a joke it is, and everybody haha like does it every now and again. Like it is not providing you with the best possible experience. And the fact that Python is dynamic provides us plenty of hard, you know, kind of decisions that we need to make. And there is a lot of price that we pay for the dynamism. So why wouldn't we want to use the good sides of the dynamism that we get with Python? Mm
0: -hmm. And some of
1: the best things that Python as this runtime first language provides is a tremendous debugging and profiling experience where you can literally mm-hmm. just, you know, stop a program at any given point and look around, look inside. So nowadays yeah. with uh, debuggers like uh, Memory from Bloomberg and with a new, um, you know, uh, well, that that's more of a profiler and with debuggers based on features from um, like Python 3.12, sysp.monitoring, uh, you can mm-hmm. get a way faster experience and, you know, kind of Workflows were that felt like science fiction, like just a few years back, where mm-hmm. you can debug on your Mac, um, you know, um, process that is running on a container somewhere else. It might be mm-hmm. a different. Uh, you know CPU architecture. It might run different versions of what you have locally installed, and you can debug it. You can walk around and whatnot. You don't have to essentially fight with some bash to get to the process there, and you know mm-hmm. look around in some minimized Vim version and do any any of that stuff. Like you can now with VS Code just use uh, you know, kind of the remote debugging and everything that you know it provides. And I find that amazing. the The tooling there, like, really is growing uh, for the past two three years. I love to see it.
0: That's really cool. I agree wholeheartedly. Um. Oh, I was going to ask you. I saw you had started a a podcast of your own. Do you care to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Uh. Well, like that. That was a bit of an unexpected development. So, um, (laughs) what happened was after the, um. After PyCon uh, this year, uh, a bunch of us were talking about uh, kind of um, external discussions about ongoing development in Python and how um, we are not always, as core team members, clear about what is going on and when, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of some messages... Um, that we did write, like, are misinterpreted, uh, you know, kind of, then we can reach Hacker News page one and mm-hmm. people will discuss a thing that is not really what we're working on. Or they will focus uh-huh. on a detail that is really irrelevant or misunderstood or whatnot. And the mm-hmm. uh, kind of thought about this was that we should really just educate people about what is going on uh, in Python, like, currently, my original idea for this was that, you know, I'll probably just do some, you know, videos about Python internals because the there's already mm-hmm. a book, like Anthony Shaw wrote it. It's it's excellent. Yeah. It is a bit dated right now because Python sees unprecedented growth like in the internals. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, probably ironically for um, like Anthony, like just the uh, kind of, A lot of the pieces that he covered, where he literally in the book says that some of those things didn't change for decades, like a lot of those changed just in the past (laughs) two, three years. Yeah. Um, So I I thought, you know, a book format, you know, kind of um, probably know what we want because we want something that is more. you know, immediate, like mm-hmm. n- tracks closer to the actual development. Uh, so I thought, you know, uh, maybe some YouTube or whatever. Um, but this is always uh, something that, you know, even if I enjoy doing it, it it takes a ton of work to deliver well enough because, you know, kind of um, the expectation of quality from a casual viewer is now extremely high. Uh, what yeah. people want is, you know, kind of, fleshed like well fleshed um like polished uh, videos that look super professional since there are high profile full-time youtubers that are you know kind of do those things mm-hmm. so uh you know kind of i was somewhat shy on actually starting on this uh and then what was it either in september or uh early um october i think i think actually it was it was september still um pablo mm, Approached me, Pablo Galindo, the mm, core developer who is also the release manager of Python three ten and three eleven, mm-hmm. uh, works at Bloomberg, uh, contributes to the uh, Faster Python team, um, also you know kind of uh, physicist that uh, specializes in black holes, you know, and um, a good friend. Uh, he lives in London, so he approached me and he said, "Like, hey, I would want to do a podcast about those things that we talked about, but you know, I think." you know, we should do it together. And mm. I was immediately in because I already had this idea that we should do some of this uh, kind of outreach and mm-hmm. education work, uh, you know, kind of maybe this. D- d- those sound like super, like, you know, kind of grand words, like education, whatever. Like, but what we really <laughs> want is, is to let people know in our own words, uh, like, where, um, where we are going and mm-hmm. what the things that we have now, like how they came about since a lot of the uh, discussions around, for example, why doesn't Python just do this, right? They mm-hmm. stem from the fact that uh, people don't understand the sometimes complicated history that caused, for example, exceptions to look as they are today. Right, mm-hmm. so we started uh, doing, you know, episodes, episode by episode, uh, this kind of format where we explore a bunch of details on Python, just one at a time. So I don't know, say the import system, or uh, exceptions mm-hmm. that I already uh, mentioned, or what does it really mean to remove the gill, and like you know, kind of we re- we read Pep Seven or Three, so you don't have to, and so on and so on. We actually yeah. started with just summarizing. The core developer sprint that we had at Red Hat this year, uh, not this year, in twenty twenty three in in October, uh, mm-hmm. in Brno, in Czechia. Uh, so yeah, like so far at this point, uh, we released six episodes. So we still say at the start that this is a new podcast since since the mm-hmm. sixth episode is uh, still still um, single digits. But so yeah. far, uh, we got a lot of encouraging feedback uh, that, you know, people like the approach that we are taking. Uh, there is also some critical feedback, especially from other core developers who say, you're explaining it wrong. So, you know, kind of <laughs> obviously uh, there are, um, you know, personal opinions, but we value mm-hmm. any feedback, including critical feedback. You know, we, we can take it. And especially from people we already know and trust, um, there, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong about saying like, hey, You know, just focus on this one thing. Like you might have missed it. Or last episode, you said, uh, say, which is actually true, that, you know, MyPy has this, uh, you know, um, exhaustive check for uh, match statements that will ensure that you always uh, have cases that cover Mm -hmm. the entire enum. Uh, I said that MyPy does have it, but MyPy is still working on it. Like what does have it is PyWrite, which is part of the Python language server. That is part of VS Code, which is why Mm -hmm. I got those confused since um, most of what I'm seeing these days are warnings from VS Code. Like, like I don't really feel like I'm Mm. running a type checker as a separate step anymore. It is just integrated with my editing workflow. So I uh, I just confuse uh, you know kind of the the two momentarily, uh, but yes, PyRite does have this feature. It's an awesome feature. So you know kind of uh, if if you haven't looked into it, you know it's uh it's it's one of those things that you know um, once you notice it and you. Uh, start depending on it it just feels Mm -hmm. weird not to have it you know in a in a kind of raw environment where you just have a simple text editor and so on and so on so yes we accept uh, critical feedback especially Mm -hmm. uh, you know when it's very concrete about like uh, a particular thing like this but yes um, so far we have this bi-weekly cadence uh, six episodes uh, down yeah. Right. So, I don't know. Like uh, I, I, I invite you to check it out if you like uh, to hear two non-native English speakers try to speak English <laughs> while explaining uh, Python to, I don't know, kind of regular uh, seasoned Python users. Since what we are not doing is, this is mm-hmm. not a course for Python. We're not uh, being, you know, kind of in the uh, teaching Python space. We yeah. think that there are plenty of other resources that are better suited for this. And especially... I don't know. Like maybe your experience is different, but I feel like it is sort of hard when you're trying to explain something in voice only, and you're just waving your hands, mm-hmm. like you know, kind of at the computer. But there's there's no visuals that you can support your explanations with. So yes. the discussions of internals, I think, are suited well enough. But teaching something totally new, uh, teaching somebody to program, that would be, I think, uh, a, a bit, you know, too much to ask from the listeners.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's more, I think, theory type stuff is a lot easier to explain in just words rather than needing visual aids. So I wanted to ask you, uh, which parts of the Python core have you worked on or consider yourself to be really knowledgeable about?
1: Right so uh, the the pieces that I uh, worked mm, with the most so as a mm-hmm. user definitely typing and I do uh, enjoy a lot of asyncio so I know mm-hmm. a lot of the internals of it well as well uh, just from the fact that like I've been there when it was first released and when it mm-hmm. uh, was evolving uh, so I just you know it's easier to learn a bunch of things about the kind of uh, internals of something when you are seeing it evolve, kind of essentially in real time. Um, Since, you know, when I started contributing to Python back in 2010, that was because at the company I worked for at the time, uh, any files were very heavily used to just model essentially, uh, like a DSL that later on ended up producing a bunch of uh, SQL files and a bunch of CPP files that were then automatically compiled, you know. So mm-hmm. there was a bunch of code that was originally Perl and then increasingly Python that was dealing with those .ini files. And I kind of identified a bunch of issues with config parser, the built-in library to um, mm-hmm. read and uh, emit um, .ini files. So I started fixing those. And the fixes that I made landed in Python 3.2. And that was in uh, 2010. What mm-hmm. that means is for a good four or five years, most people using Python never saw any of the changes I made. Because at the time, Python 2 was still mm-hmm. essentially ruling the land, right? You, you know, yeah. kind of the Python 3 transition is, is is a topic that we could spend an entire episode on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was definitely... Uh, very rocky. There were times where we were really second guessing whether Python will survive as a language, this kind of rift between Python 2 and Python 3. Um, you know. So mm-hmm. it really was um, only until Python 3.4 and in earnest 3.5 uh, with the arrival of async await and mm-hmm. typing where I felt like, okay, Actually, there is enough adoption now of Python 3 that this will this will probably be a success. Like we can essentially, you know, kind of still keep going. At the time, yeah. I worked on moving Instagram to Python 3, which originally when we were still working on it was with Python 3.5 that was released at the time. And then mm-hmm. quickly after it got uh, released with Python 3.6. Uh, so 3.6 and that following uh, PyCon where, um, you know, the lead engineers behind the transition of Instagram to Python 3 had a keynote, uh, an opening mm-hmm. keynote on, at PyCon about like, hey, Python is, Python 3 is fine, you know, kind of the water is warm, you know, you can, you can come in, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, like the entire point of the keynote was also, it's also a ton of work to move to Python 3. So nobody denied that. Uh, But, you know, there were definitely um, wins that you could have from transitioning. Uh, But Mm -hmm. yeah, so, so the, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm saying all this is that, um, uh, when features are formed from the start, like typing that I observed, like, you know, being a contributor and AsyncIO, same thing. Like it, it's it's easier to follow where they are moving uh, compared to stuff like, you know, just frame evaluation that happens in C eval C uh, in Python. And, you know, mm-hmm. kind of uh, it's something where this file was there, like all along from the first, you know, tarball that Guido published on some news group, you know, in 89, like, to, to this day, like, that, that was already a file that, that did essentially what it, d- it does today, only in a much more primitive form. Uh, mm-hmm. So those sorts of mm, features are harder to understand, like, and, and really kind of, you know, like, for, for a person that is new to dive deep into it, which is why I very often like to uh, encourage people to still download um, old uh, tarball, right? you know, and um, for mm-hmm. some old version of Python, like ones that I'm particularly fond of, are like Python 2.4, right, and and mm-hmm. so on, because they're close enough when that that you can still run them in a container in your you know Apple Silicon Mac and so on and so on. Uh, mm-hmm. But the internals are way easier to understand because the source code is simply smaller and there are uh, a ton of optimizations that are simply missing uh, so it's easier to see what the code is supposed to be doing so yeah. because of um, you know just reviewing a ton of code as part of my job like I did a bunch of that so just looking at like what is the history of this why am I looking at this and it's so unobvious where does this come from so I would, Ask people mm-hmm. about it. Obviously, that's the quickest way. But since I'm employed and they're volunteers, I don't want to waste their time. So I would spend more time actually doing sleuthing of my own and testing things on my own. You know, this the simplest thing that you can do is download this ancient Python, try to build it, which you can't not on you know on the Mac since you know mm-hmm. all of the tooling that you have locally is uh, extremely modern and Python two will not build with that easily. But you can yeah. build inside a container. And then you can you can uh, kind of um, you can learn to uh, kind of understand the internals. So, like say mm-hmm. you know kind of frame evaluation I just named, but that's definitely not a place that I feel very comfortable with editing. But there's mm-hmm. plenty of others, like you know kind of the the parser now. Like we have a very advanced parser. Um, like that is definitely you know kind of a big piece of engineering that is entirely fresh but i'm less scared of that part of python say right and a lot of the standard libraries that we have in python and the c accelerators that they also have like that i feel comfortable with reviewing code for and like writing new features for
0: cool it's a lot of information but i'm glad we talked about it so it's a I've really enjoyed watching how the Python has changed especially since 3.6 it's just like it's fun to see how it's how it's growing it's ty- the type hinting has gotten easier to use um, async has also gotten easier to use
1: oh yeah definitely
0: and it's just it's just fun to see how it, how it's evolved
1: yeah oh uh, like um, now that we have an annual release um cadency, right? So you have a predictable Mm -hmm. calendar for when a new Python version comes out. Uh, You know, I got some feedback that that probably means that Python now is changing faster, right? But those things are kind of independent, uh, since mm-hmm. if you're just slicing the the sausage in thinner slices, you're going to have more of them, but essentially it's still the same sausage, right? So yes. the kind of acceleration of development of core Python, which is an observable fact, you can definitely see that there is more happening now that was happening uh, in three, four, and three, five days. So that mm-hmm. acceleration stems from the fact that there is a ton of investment in uh, Core Python right now. So the faster Python team working on the JIT and the specialized interpreter, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of all of those things um, is being sponsored by Microsoft and partially by Bloomberg as well. Um, The removal of the global interpreter lock is sponsored by Meta, right? Where that Mm -hmm. was originally where the mm, proof of concept Python 3.9 version and later on Python 3.12 versions were uh, produced by some growth, right? So a lot of that investment, um, you know, kind of sees fru- fruits like of the larger scale changes that we can now attempt. In fact, like mm-hmm. my own work is sponsored by Meta, whereas uh, Peders is sponsored by Bloomberg, Um, Mm -hmm. And the PSF is sponsoring Syracuse. So, you know, kind of there is plenty of uh, very tangible results from just having our corporate uh, sponsors just, you know, give money directly towards development of uh, new features of Python and also for, you know, making sure that it is more secure, right? Like, for example, Mm -hmm. Amazon is sponsoring a PyPI engineer like that is, uh, staffed to make sure that this is a secure package index, and you know, uh, yeah. one of the, the things that just happened, uh, like super recently, was that now we do require two factor on PyPI. For you to be mm-hmm. able to publish packages so as a just user who never publishes anything you can still get away with no second factor authentication but you probably shouldn't either you should you should also just spend this minute or two that would be yeah. just in you know necessary for you to be able to uh kind of secure your account but if you're publishing things that maybe thousands or millions of downloads later on is, uh, are going to consume Like, you should be more, um, you know, or or like the most diligent you can be, right? You should be Mm -hmm. the most responsible. So second factor uh, authentication, definitely a factor there, like definitely something that we uh, wanted to have. So, yeah, now Mm -hmm. uh, thanks for, uh, you know, um, thanks to the efforts of uh, Mike, we have this. So I'm very happy to see this. And we have a core developer, uh, not core developer, um, um, the security developer in residence um and you know that is also a uh, tremendous value added uh yeah. Seth Larson, uh, who is already you know kind of a seasoned uh contributor to the python ecosystem through his urllib3 uh, maintenance and so on and so on now mm-hmm. he is uh, working directly on making uh cpython uh better and more secure um, kind of in terms of the entire ecosystem and how uh, the general, you know, kind of um, industry perceives Python and the surrounding projects. One well, great yeah. example is uh, Python became a numbering authority for CVEs. So now we mm. actually have, for the first time in history, the ability to assign CVE numbers to uh, vulnerabilities we identify but also mm-hmm. more importantly, to assign what severity they have. Because sometimes, uh, you know, well-meaning researchers would assign a kind of higher than reasonable severity just so that their discovery mm-hmm. would be, I don't know, more important, right? And like yeah. kind of reach more people. Um, it, there, there's always some controversy behind this because on the one side, if something is brought to light more it's going to be fixed sooner and people are going to update quicker so definitely there's some upside to it but there's also this sort of panic and unnecessary you know uh kind of stress stemming from fixing mm-hmm. an issue that you know as the maintainer is not really something that can be exploited in the wild so now with the security development residence, we are finally at a point where we can uh, have like a say in how the CVEs are numbered and uh, assigned Mm -hmm. severities. So, you know, kind of probably the best really time to be a Python user, but also a very fascinating time to be a contributor to the language since a ton of the changes people wanted for decades are happening Mm -hmm. right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well... I think it's time for something completely different. So <laughs> I'm going to ask you about uh, about uh, music. I see that you're a music lover and musician. You've posted about that on your website. So what right. kind of music do you enjoy listening or playing?
1: Well, um, there was a time, early high school, where I needed to decide whether I wanted to go into computers you know like mm-hmm. hand waving what that means at the time uh, yeah. or into professional music i was doing both at the time and it was clearly mm-hmm. not working since uh being like a professional uh, piano player uh, a professional pianist like essentially requires you to practice for multiple hours a day every day mm-hmm. uh and that would mean i wouldn't be able to to do all the practice that you just require to learn the skills to program, to do like all of those other things that was also interesting to me. Yeah, And ultimately it was, to be honest, almost a coin toss to me because I felt very strongly about both of those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the the fact that one of those ended up being likely, right? Like more uh, kind of... Um, like a nicer career path for me, right? Like it was both um, mm-hmm. more visible to me and something that was more accessible to somebody without any kind of background uh, in computer science, like f- from you know my family and the you know surroundings that I had. Uh, mm-hmm. like, I didn't plan for any of this, right? I didn't know that I was going into something that is more reasonable than becoming a professional musician. Like that was honestly not something that I was thinking of at the time. I just Mm -hmm. knew that I just needed to focus on one or the other. But I, you know, always say that I believe everybody should stand on two legs. So, you know, kind of, if you do have Mm -hmm. just one uh, interest that defines you, and it ends up being also your work. Uh, you can really go deep and have tremendous impact, and I totally mm-hmm. respect this. But the danger of this is that like, now, kind of necessarily, you're treating everything very personally because it really defines you. It's it's everything to yeah. you. And I I find that this is very risky, right, for multiple reasons. Like if there would be anything that would make it impossible for you to continue where you're going uh it would be mm-hmm. probably like a very you know kind of um very hard moment in your life if you realized you cannot continue on the path that you ch- uh, chose before so standing mm-hmm. on your legs having to uh, vaguely or not uh, at all related interests like is something that I just naturally gravitated towards and the, the piano stays with me and I still like play on it essentially pretty much daily uh, these days more mm-hmm. like you know kind of road roadsy e-piano kind of jazz standards sort of thing uh, I do more of that I do produce some electronic music but I don't really spend too much time on this uh, but okay. every day I will play some piano uh, that kind of calms me down and it's something that you know kind of to be able to have this three minutes of fame where, oh, there's a piano and you can play when you're meeting your Python friends for once a year in in Mm -hmm. some random city in the United States, you need to practice so that, you know, when that moment comes, you will not just say, oh, I wish I had my, you know, sheet music because (laughs) I I don't remember anything, right? So I I just do practice, but, you know, it's a a thing that uh, ironically is... um, it's fun. The more you do it, because mm-hmm. when you first, you know, kind of read music and try to figure out how to play a piece, um, there is effort there, and there's this kind of focus that you need to put in consciously, consciously, just so that you are able to play what you are supposed to play. But after mm-hmm. enough repetition, you no longer have to consciously think about the kind of the rhythm, the melody, the positioning of your hands, and whatnot, like that mm-hmm. takes care of itself so now you can essentially think of expression and with enough um you know repetition of that too you end up having you know kind of the piece evolve a little so that it becomes more yours and at some point you just play it as if i don't know like it it, it was something that you're cooking and it's something that you Mm -hmm. know like how to cook because you specialize in it for months and Mm -hmm. months or years or years so it just becomes uh entertainment like even if it's just you know for myself uh i i do find it like a you know almost a form of meditation honestly Mm -hmm. so so Mm -hmm. yeah uh music it's important to me like if if you have something else like that's amazing but i highly recommend you having you know at least one other thing that you can uh, kind of, you know, find joy in besides your day job. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Having a hobby or some other creative outlet is definitely recommended. All right. Well, I think we've reached the end of the show, but I wanted to thank you so much for coming on and being with me. It's been an honor to chat with you about Python. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. And we'll see you all next time
1: make sure to leave a review this makes our day and fuels future episodes mike driscoll the python show